0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, it's Christmas week, and so this week on the podcast, I'd like to spend my time not so much talking about practical issues about ministry leadership, but practical challenges to you as a ministry leader and how you might be inspired by the Christmas story or at least part of it to overcome those challenges. In my recent book, Shadow Christians, Uh, one of the characters of the Christmas story, or at least a group of them, made the book. Uh, They're unnamed in the Bible. They are called by various titles, the magi or the wise men, but their names are not included in scripture. And yet these uh, fellows, uh, three by tradition, are a very significant part of the Christmas story. Now they're significant not just because of Uh, who they are and what they did, but they're also significant because of what they symbolize or typify and what they say to us about what it means to follow God, to follow God's direction, and to follow God in in spite of difficulty and hardship. So I'd like to talk with you for a few minutes about these magi, these wise men, about these shadow Christians, these anonymous, unnamed men who made such a contribution to the Christmas story and by that make a genuine contribution to our lives as leaders. In Matthew chapter 2, their story begins in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go! And search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Well, skip now down to verse 16. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then, what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, these wise men show us by their example what it means to follow the lord to follow his direction and to maintain that devotion in the midst of significant difficulty or challenge so i want to walk you through a little bit of their life today and help you understand how these can be a model for you as a christian leader and how the christmas story can inspire you to overcome the challenges of 2020 and prepare yourself as we move into 2021. the first thing i learned from these men is that Following the Lord requires endurance. Now notice three aspects of this in the text. First, the wise men encountered unusual circumstances. Several times in this text, we learn about this mysterious star which guided them. In verse 2, they said they saw his star rising. In verse 7, they reference again the star that had appeared. And then in verses 9 and 10, uh, they say again, there it is, or there it was, the star. And they followed that star until they reached the place where Jesus was. So the wise men encountered some unusual circumstances. They must have been baffling circumstances, puzzling circumstances. But yet they followed the, Lord, the, the Lord's direction as they understood it, pursuing the place of Jesus' birth. And then second, the Magi also had to overcome geographic or time or duration obstacles. I noticed this in just the first couple of verses. It says these wise men came from the east. Now that's a simple little phrase and it certainly means a geographic designation, but I think it means a lot more than that. From the east means that they came from a long distance to follow that star and find the place where Jesus was. And then the saddest part of this story is that the wise men also had to confront a very powerful enemy. Herod was a wicked leader, and his uh, evil nature is revealed most clearly in the massacre of the baby boys uh, that's described in this passage. What an evil, awful, despicable man he must have been to, do such a, to, to uh, commit such a heinous crime. And the wise men were faced with how to, how to talk with him, how to deal with him, and how ultimately to resolve the the threat that he brought to the baby Jesus. So following the Lord requires endurance. Endurance in the face of unusual circumstances, time or duration obstacles, and in the midst of a powerful enemy. Well, you're a leader today, and you're trying to follow the Lord, and you face some of these same kinds of obstacles. You must endure. You have to hold on. You've got to make it through. You can't give up. You can't quit. You've got to endure. And you have to endure, first of all, just like these wise men when circumstances are baffling. You know, I live in a state of perpetual leadership confusion. There's so many things that happen to me and around me that, quite frankly, I simply don't understand. And besides the leadership complications that baffle me, there are also mysteries of life that lead me bef- leave me befuddled, uh, scratching my head and wondering, what's going on here? For example, this year it's been so challenging to me to watch good people that I love and care about suffer and in some cases die with COVID, while other people seem to have gotten such a light case of it as to hardly be noticeable. I don't understand that. And then this past year, I had a really good friend, a a 51-year-old woman, who had a routine surgery on her knee, but from complications from that surgery, she died just a week later. She was in the prime of life, making a dramatic and significant contribution to God's kingdom, and yet her life ended. And then I see all around us people that are uh, causing chaos and confusion, difficulty, people that are hurting others by rioting, by protesting, by doing things that are damaging in communities and they tend, they continue to live on and in fact seem to have ever increasing health for the capacity to do uh, for to have the capacity to do these evil things they're doing. Life is baffling. Leadership is baffling. And so much of the time, so many of the circumstances I encounter are so troubling that I just want to throw up my hands and say, how can anyone make sense out of this? It's in those moments I have to recognize that my responsibility is to endure, even when circumstances are difficult, baffling, puzzling, troubling, unsettling. I still am responsible to endure. And then I have to endure when time moves slowly. Now, partly, I'm sure it's my personality, but... I tend to want things to happen faster. I'm frustrated by the pace of life. Things just take so long. Everything takes so long to develop organizationally. Churches tend to change very slowly. Life situations tend to move along at a snail's pace. I want things to happen quickly. Well, I've discovered that's not always the case. Just like these wise men who came from the East, they had to go mile after mile after mile after monotonous mile, maybe on the back of camels as is traditionally portrayed, but nevertheless, just grinding out the time until they got to where they needed to be to accomplish the purpose God had for them. One of the most significant challenges I've faced in life is enduring when things happen slowly. Pastor search processes go slowly. Building programs go slowly. Uh, Organizational change in academic settings like I work go very slowly. Things just seem to grind on, and it's easy to grow frustrated in all of that. But yet, as a leader, my responsibility is to endure, to be steady, strong, faithful, unwavering, even though time goes by slowly and things seem to take forever. And then... I also have to endure when opponents or enemies are threatening me. Now, in this story from the Bible, the threat was real in, uh, to these wise men. We see how real that threat was when uh, Herod massacred all these babies. I've never faced that kind of threat. I've never had anyone that was going to take my life. But I've had enemies that uh, attack me in print and attack me verbally and I try to make my life miserable by the things they do to me or to our school. Uh, Those kind of enemies can be a persistent drag on all of us in leadership, having to face up to and deal with our opponents. I recently talked with a pastor who's been in his church for about 15 or 20 years in that range. And we drove by a, a rather nice house nearby uh, where his church facility is located, and I commented about how beautiful this home was set up on a low hill, uh, and it was, it was quite, uh, quite stunning. He said, oh, yes, uh, and he told me who lived there. And I said, oh, are they members of your church? He said, well, he used to be a member. He said, but in my second year as pastor, he left our church uh, and has never joined anyone else's church and has spent the last, oh, 15 years or so, attacking me. I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh, he writes a blog about me. He sends out uh, posts about what our church is doing and criticizes it and is negative about it. He uh, writes things uh, on social media about me. And he said, it's uh, like a personal vendetta with him. He He's just out to get me. I said, well, what do you do about that? He goes, nothing. <laughs> he said, "For uh, for in the beginning, I was upset by it. And then I fought against it. And then I tried to reach out and, and find some way to solve the problem, but then I finally had to recognize that none of that was going to help and, frankly, just gave it up. So he's my persistent critic, my constant attacker, my regular blogger and social media poster and church critic who's out to get me at every turn. I marveled at this pastor's endurance, at his capacity to stay strong in the midst of and in the face of a critic, an enemy, an opponent who's really attacking him on a regular basis. So the wise men teach us that following the Lord requires endurance. Just like they had to follow the unusual circumstances of the star, overcome the time and duration obstacles of a long journey, deal with a powerful enemy in Herod, as leaders, when we're committed to following the Lord and doing what he's asked us to do, we will find that we have to endure when circumstances are baffling, when time moves slowly, and when opponents are attacking us. In the context of these kinds of difficulties, endurance is the character quality most needed. Now let's move on to the next part of the passage. And the second part of the passage teaches us that following the Lord requires submission. In the passage, it says in chapter 2, or excuse me, verse 2, that the magi, or the wise men, followed the star, not knowing where it would lead. It says in verse 2, we, have, we saw his star and we've come to worship him. But dropping down to verse 8, you find out that they didn't even know really where they were going. Uh, And Herod certainly told them, go and search for the child, and when you find him, let me know. In other words, I don't even know where he is. You don't even know where he is. The star seems to give you some general direction of where he is, but just keep following, and when you find him, uh, let me know. And when the Magi did finally find Jesus, what did they do? Well, this is, of course, the most beautiful part of their story in terms of the tradition of what it means. They brought the Lord these precious gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You've heard stories about these and sermons about these. I'm not going to go into that today on the podcast. I'm trying to focus on the leadership aspects of this story. But these men left home, traveled long, overcame much, following a star leading to a general location without a lot of specific direction. And then when they finally achieved their goal, they found themselves bowing down, worshiping, and giving gifts. Not to some ruling, reigning monarch, but instead to a small child, a toddler perhaps, a little one, the baby Jesus. They brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Following the Lord requires submission. It requires us to follow his direction like in the case of the wise men, this star leading to a nebulous location. Submission means following God's direction, not always knowing exactly where we're going. You know, when I moved to the Pacific Northwest many years ago, I thought that I was moving in response to God's direction to plant a new church near Portland, Oregon. And that's certainly what we did. What I did not know was that when I made the decision to follow the Lord and to submit to his leadership in my life to move to Portland, Oregon, that I was doing so much more than planting a church in that region. Instead, I was opening up the vistas of opportunity that were going to fill the rest of my life. You know, that was a scary and challenging and Uh, Exciting time all rolled into one for our family. I was the pastor of a traditional but relatively healthy church in the Midwest. I was a church attendance about 300. I had a small staff working with me, and uh, I had been there long enough that I had uh, moved through the painful difficulty of launching into a new church and established some really meaningful relationships and had some genuine momentum going toward toward, uh, a very positive future. But through doctoral studies and my own reading and consideration of opportunities across the United States, and then my own longing to be in a place where I felt like I was more on the cutting edge of lostness and reaching people, secular people, with the gospel, through all of that, I became open to the possibility of church planting. I started looking for a place to go and really wanted to move to Phoenix, Arizona. A lot of reasons for that. I grew up in hot weather country in West Texas. I thought Arizona's culture would suit me. I knew that, Arizona, that Phoenix was a booming city. And so I made a, a number of entreaties to the Arizona Southern Baptist Convention and the Home Mission Board at the time asking if they could use me in Arizona. And to my surprise, their answer was no. But they came back to me, at least the Home Mission Board did, and asked us if we would consider a church plant in a suburb of Las Vegas. Well, for various reasons, that did not work out either. And then I went to a conference in Missouri on using telemarketing to uh, define prospects and help plant churches. It was part of writing a doctoral paper on innovative ways to reach people with the gospel. While I was at that conference, the conference leader invited me to have lunch with him. He was responsible for church planting in the Pacific Northwest, and I shared my dream of being a church planter, and he shared me the possibility of coming to the Portland, Oregon area and fulfill that vision. I had no idea that I would ever wind up in Portland, Oregon. And I told him so. He asked me to think about it and pray about it. And about every two or three weeks after that, he would call me and just ask how I was doing and how the progress for a a place to plant was going and uh, where I was in uh, the development of my understanding of how God might be leading me. And finally, uh, because of his pressure and the, and the Lord's prompting, and also the fact that no other opportunities were available, I went on a trip out to Portland to look over the situation, met the people, and pretty quickly concluded that this is where I was supposed to be. Well, I went home, told Ann about that, and she, of course, was always ready to go in any, anywhere in a missionary assignment, so she was excited also about going to Portland. But at the time, uh, she was pregnant, and so we agreed, kind of a fleece, I suppose, before the Lord, that if Ann gave birth to a healthy child and there were no complications from her birth, that we would move shortly thereafter. And that's what we did. Our youngest son, Caleb, was born, and six weeks later, we were on our way uh, to Portland, Oregon. We moved out there with uh, a six-week-old, a two-year-old, and a five-year-old. We moved to a place we'd never lived before, to a part of the world Anne had never been to and I had never lived in. We went out there not knowing what we were doing, where we were going, or what all was involved. But we were really sure, as sure as we could know, we were sure that God was leading us. Little did we know that going to the Pacific Northwest to plant that church would introduce me to the possibility of teaching at a seminary level by putting me on the adjunct faculty of the Pacific Northwest Campus. And little did I know that through that connection, the director of the Pacific Northwest Campus, Dr. Bill Peters, would introduce me to Dr. William O. Cruz, the president of then Golden Gate Seminary. And little did I know that the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention, Cecil Sims, would become a friend, a mentor, and a promoter of my work And all of that wove together a few years after we arrived in the Northwest to me being asked to be the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention. How unlikely was that? At that point in my life, I had never even chaired a Baptist denominational committee, much less been the executive director of a state convention. And yet that's what I was asked to do and what I agreed to do and led that convention for 10 years. During that time, my relationship with Golden Gate, now Gateway Seminary, only deepened, and so in two thousand and four, it was because of all of that, all of that uh, that had occurred, all that had occurred during all of that time, I was asked to be the president of Gateway Seminary. God always had a plan. He was leading me from the day that I left Missouri to move to the West Coast, and I didn't even know it. I thought I was just coming to a Church. He was leading me to a place where he would use me and expand my leadership footprint and give me greater influence than I could have ever imagined by making me a state executive director and then a seminary president. All of that happened because we set out to follow the Lord. Now, I know some people have great ambition. They want to achieve great things in ministry, and they want to rise up through the ranks of different offices and different responsibilities. That was never in my mind. I wanted to follow the Lord. I wanted to be the pastor of a church near Portland, Oregon. I wanted to plant a new church that could be a significant church of starting other other churches and doing missions around the world. That's all I dreamed of. But God had a different plan. Listen, leaders, submission to following the Lord means following him forward, not knowing all of where he might lead or what he might do in the future. So like these wise men who followed a star, I challenge you to follow the Lord's direction, to do what he's asking you to do, to go where he's asking you to go, to not worry about having all the details of all the ramifications of what that all might mean over the next decade or two, but simply trusting that when you submit yourself to God and follow Him, He's going to lead you into a life and into ministry and into opportunities that you could have never imagined. Now, submission is hard to maintain. We're stubborn people. So how do you maintain it? Well, I think these wise men model it for us. Their submission was mostly demonstrated by their worship. They knelt down before Jesus and gave him gifts. You know, worship is a weekly reminder that it's not all about us. And it's an opportunity to submit ourselves both to God and, get this, to each other. You know, when you go to worship, you're saying to everyone who's watching, I need God. I respect God, I fear God, I worship God. You're saying that every time you gather for worship. And when you gather for worship and you give gifts of your time, your energy, and your money, you are saying, it's not all about me. It's about you, Lord. And I give something of myself up in this moment, week by week by week, to remind myself to stay in submission to you. Well, let me wrap it up with this. Following the Lord requires one more character quality, and that's courage. You know, in this passage, the Magi defied Herod. It says in verse 12 that they were warned in a dream about returning to Herod and decided not to do that, so they returned to their own country by another way. In other words, they they snuck out of town. They They got away without following through on going back to Herod and reporting to him what they had learned. And then in verse 16, it very clearly says the wise men outwitted Herod. Now, this decision gave Jesus' family time to escape to Egypt. I skipped that part of the reading when I read the text at the beginning of the podcast, but from verses 13 to 15, we read that part of the story. So the Magi arrived had an audience with Herod. He deceived them or tried to and said, find the baby, come back and tell me where he is. I'd like to worship him with you. They were warned in a dream about his duplicity and they snuck out of town and went back to their home country a different way. When, the wise, when Herod learned what the wise men had done, he went into a rage and did something horrific. He massacred. He massacred all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Following the Lord requires courage. And there's at least a couple of applications of that that come out of this text. First, courage means standing up to powerful people. Courage means standing up to powerful people. I've seen this demonstrated in different ways over the years. One of the biggest shocks for me at the seminary happened early on in my tenure. A couple asked for an appointment, came to my office. Uh, He was a student. She was a spouse. They said, God has called us to international missions service, and we need to talk with you about what that means and how to go forward. Well, I was delighted, but then they revealed their problem. The student, the husband, said, my parents have essentially disowned us for this decision. I said, really? Why? He said, well, uh, my father's an engineer. He raised me to be an engineer, and I went to school to become an engineer. And when I finished school, I told him that God was calling us to missions, and instead of coming home and joining the engineering firm, I was planning to go to seminary and prepare for overseas service. And my father said to me, why would you waste your life on that? And the young man told me, I then said to my father, but Dad, this is how you raised me. It was church Sunday morning, church Sunday night, royal ambassadors on Wednesday night. It was summer mission trips. It was uh, missions offerings. It was praying for missionaries. This is what you taught me. And then his father said these chilling words. Well, all of that is for somebody else's children. This couple was distraught and heartbroken because they were faced with standing up to some very powerful people in their lives, and that was his parents. Would they stand up to them and do what God was asking them to do? Or would they leave seminary and go home and do what these powerful people were demanding of them? Come home, join the firm, or be disowned. Saw another example of this, unfortunately, and that was a person came to me once and said, I have a problem with my supervisor at work. I said, well, what's your problem? Well, my supervisor has told me to lie about a personnel matter and to lie about my work hours and my timesheet. I said, well, you can't do that. This woman said, I know I can't do that, but I'm fully aware of how my boss has treated people in the past, and if I... If I defy him, he's going to fire me. Courage. It takes courage to stand up to powerful people when they hold your employment in their hands. I was talking with another young couple recently. They're facing a significant challenge in their community. Local schools are fulfilling the governmental mandate by their state that every school teach in the subject of gender roles and gender identification, that each child can choose their own gender. They can choose to be a boy or choose to be a girl, choose to be a man, choose to be a woman. And, of course, this Christian couple is completely opposed to this position and has voiced this to their teacher, and then it went to the principal, and it may go higher now in the administration. And they're saying, if we keep this fight going, we're going to jeopardize our standing in the community the possibility that our child will be kicked out of school. It's going to be a tough situation for us. What do we do? How do we stand up to powerful people like government leaders or school leaders? Following the Lord requires courage, the capacity to stand up to powerful people, parents, supervisors, people in the government. It's challenging, but as a leader, This is part of what it means to endure, to stand up strong, to do what's right, and to follow the Lord no matter the difficulty. Courage means trusting God for his protection or not as he determines. One of my most comforting insights from the book of Acts relates to imprisonments. You know, in Acts chapter 16, Paul goes into prison and you remember what happened. He prayed, and the place was shaken by an earthquake, and he walked out of that prison scot-free. We celebrate that. But then you turn over about six chapters to 22, and you read there that Paul was also in prison again, and he didn't get out that time. In fact, the Bible says he languished in a Roman prison for two years. Do you think he prayed during that two years? I'll bet so. You think he wanted out? I'll bet he did. But no earthquake ever came. You see, sometimes when you find yourself in trouble, God will deliver you. Other times, God will sustain you. But in both cases, he stands with you. So when you decide to take a courageous stand against a powerful person, a supervisor, a parent, a government worker, when you decide to stand up against these people, you can know that whether God delivers you or he doesn't, He will sustain you. These magi, they're some of the characters of Christmas. They're unnamed, anonymous. They're powerful in the Christmas story for the role they played, but they're also significant to us as examples of what it means to follow the Lord, to follow the Lord's direction, and to fulfill the responsibility we've been given. That's what leadership is about. It's about following the Lord, following the Lord's direction, and fulfilling the responsibility he's given us. I hope this Christmas devotional message encourages you as you wrap up 2020, a difficult year to be sure, and encourages you also for 2021, that you will stand strong as you begin this new year and say, I will endure. I will demonstrate submission. I will practice courage. I will be a leader like the wise man. I will follow the Lord as he leads on.